first of all, uh, I'd like to say that I, I take it that a uh, person's well-being is the state of things going well for her. Oh. So uh, there are several views of what the well-being in this, in this sense consists of. So I, I'd like to focus on what is called desire theory or desire fulfillment theory. So the central tenet of this theory is that a uh, person's well-being consists only of fulfillment of his desires. So the desire theory I, I'm talking about has three features. The first, uh, the first, it said that the desire fulfillment of which promote well-being are not mean desire, but end desire. That is, a person's desire for what he regards as an end. The second, uh, uh, the desire theory I am talking about regards fulfillment of the desire as um, a derived element of well-being. That is, it said that fulfillment promotes well-being, fulfillment of desire promotes well-being solely because it is fulfillment of desire, not because uh, uh, sub to other things under fulfillment of desire. And third, it said that desire should be well, well informed and rational. The aim of this presentation is argue is to argue for this claim. Uh, I, I I call it N. That is that desire theorists to have a compelling reason to consider that fulfillment of pers persons P unconditional past desire for the present does not promote her well-being. So I'm gonna uh, explain the uh, concept mentioned in this claim next. First, a past desire means past desire means that desire that a person had in the past, and she does not have at present. And past that past desire for the present is a past desire that has as its object what happened at present. Oh. And I think there are two. Uh, I think the uh, desire can be uh, divided in two groups. Uh, that there are conditional desires. Those desires are the desire of the form. I desire Q on the condition that P and Q and P are propositions. And Q is the object of desire, and P is the condition of the desire. For instance, uh, consider this uh, desire. I want to attend the party on the condition that Taro attended. Uh, that, uh, this desire, I think, that conditional desire, so the object of the desire is I attend the party. The, uh, the condition of it is, uh, is a taro attendance. And also there are unconditional desire. Unconditional desire are the desire of the form just I desire Q, uh, which are not uh, conditional on nothing. Uh, I, I'm going to skip this. And among the conditional desires, uh, there are what I call P-conditional desires. But I think that Parfit called those desires uh, uh, desire which are conditional on their own persistence. So I, I think that P, those desires are desire of the form I desire that <coughs> are obtained at T1 on the condition that at T1 I desire that R obtained at T1. T1 
express at a certain time. And R obtain, uh, R expresses, uh, the uh, R is a proportion. So suppose, uh, co uh, for, for instance, I sometimes want to have a beer later. Uh, this uh, uh, desire can be spelled out as follows. I want to have a beer later on the condition that then I want to have a beer. So this is a P condition, an example of a P condition desire. But there are also a P uncondi unconditional desire. So I think that those desire are, are, are the desire of the form. I desire that I are obtained at t regardless of whether I whether at t one I desire that I are obtained at t one. So for instance, I want my children to be healthy in the future. Uh, um, I think this desire can be uh, when I when I have this desire I. I want my children to be healthy in the future, regardless of whether in the future I want it. So we sometimes have a P conditional plus desire for the present. So this is this desire is a conditional desire. So it, it, it has a form that I desire that I obtain. Ah, I forgot to tell you, but um, I had my uh, handout put in the package uh, or the material, a uh, printed material, so uh, I hope it, it will help. <laughs> it, it's just a list of uh, the concept and the uh, statement and I claim I, I'm, I'm using in, in this presentation. Anyway, so this is conditional, this, this, this desire has, has a form like that. And this desire, uh, is the desire for the present. So T1 is a present. And this desire is a past desire. So I had a desire in the past, but I do not have it at present. So uh, all that I, I want to say about this desire is that this desire cannot be met, uh, cannot be fulfilled. fulfilled. Uh, I, I'm gonna um, therefore, according to the theory, I, I, uh, I, 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 I like to skip the uh, uh, detail of the argument, but uh, uh, I, I just want to say that according to the DIA theory, P conditional past desire for the present are not relevant to the well-being because those desire cannot be uh, fulfilled. So, but anyway, this desire is not my main concern here. So my concern is with uh, P unconditional past desire for the present. And as I said before, I would like to argue for this claim, N. So in order to do so, I would like to consider the, the, the following case. Person had, person A, S had a P unconditional past desire, D1 for the present, and has a present de desire, D2 for the present, and D1 is more intense than D2. So in this type of case, in this type of case, uh, the person had two different ki kinds of desire. One is a, de uh, a P unconditional past desire for the present. The other is a present desire for the present. And the former is more intense than the, the latter. So I, I made up a, a, a concrete example of the of type C example, a uh, type C case. Uh, Nago wanted to construct her own philosophical theory of well-being, and for 20 years dedicated herself to complete such a theory. 
She wanted to complete it regardless of whether she would later continue to have this desire. However, for the last couple of months, she gradually lost interest in studying well-being, and now she completely lacks the desire to complete her theory, though she can now complete it with a little more effort. Instead, she has recently developed a desire to practice playing the piano. Uh, this desire is not as intense uh, as was her past desire, past desire to construct a theory of well-being. So in this example, now, of course, the desire to construct a theory of well-being is a P uh, unconditional past for the present, and now God's desire to practice playing the piano is a present desire for the present, and the former is more intense than the latter. So this example is a type, type C case, uh, of the type C case. So uh, now I would like to uh, say, a note, uh, say that there are two views about what temporal part of person's life is made by made better by fulfilling one of his desires. The first is that uh, what I call attitudinalism. Uh, it is a view that if fulfilling a person's desire promotes the well-being of a temporal part of his life, it is a temporal part at which he has the desire. So the second is a, uh, is a view that I call fulfillmentalism. Uh, this is a view that if fulfilling a person's desire promotes the well-being of a temporal part of his life, it is the temporal part at which the desire is fulfilled. I, I'm not concerned here with uh, which, which of them is true, but uh, though I'm inclined to think that uh, fulfillmentalism is correct. But, uh, what I want to say, I want to do is that uh, uh, is to argue for n, uh, no matter which of the, the, the of uh, these views tend to be correct. I mean, which of uh, attitudinalism and fundamentalism uh, tend to be correct. So uh, first, I would like to argue for n in, in case in which attitudinalism is correct. So uh, before before doing that, uh, I would like to make uh, two notes about terminology. So I, I'm going to use uh, the, the phrase, a person's momentary well-being. This means that the well-being of a, part, a temporal part of her life. And I, I also use, I, I'm going to use also prudential rationale. Uh, this means that rational from the point of view of a person's lifetime well-being. Uh, I just put this, this uh, just remind you of the case here. So, so let please consider this argument about case C. Uh, I, I call it argument A. So first, fulfillment of D1 makes a temporal part of S life better off. Two, fulfillment of D2 makes a temporal part of S life better off. Three, fulfillment of D1 makes a past part of S life at which she had a desire better off. Four, fulfillment of, of D2 makes the present part of S life better off. If five, if fulfilling a person's desire makes the temporal part of her life better off, the extent to which it does so is in, a, in proportion to the desire's intensity. And six, D, D1 is more intense than D2. Uh, the D1 is a, a past desire for the present, and D2 is a present desire for the present. And seven, Fulfillment of D1 promotes its momentary well-being than 
the fulfillment of the two. Eight, fulfillment of the one contribute more to its lifetime well-being than fulfillment of the two. Nine, it is prudentially rational for us to fulfill the one rather than the two. I think that uh, given attitudinalism, uh, three is derived from one, and also four is derived from two. And five is, I think, hard to deny for anyone who holds a desire theory. And we are assuming six is true. And the seven is derived from three, four, five, and six. And I think that eight follows from seven and nine follows, follows from, from eight. In this sense, I think that this argument is sound. But I think that it, it is very hard to believe that nine is true because I have strong intuition that uh, it is not potentially rational for us to fulfill D1 rather than D2. Uh, so I call it this intuition MI, my intuition. <laughs> so think about the, 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 uh, the example study. So I think it is quite counterintuitive to say that it is prudentially rational for Naoko to fulfill her past desire to complete her theory of well-being rather than fulfilling the, her present desire to practice play, playing the piano, given that she has already lost her past desire to complete her theory of well-being. So as I said before, if I think that argument is A is sound and uh, my intuition is M1 is true and thus 9 is false. Given these two things, uh, it follows, I think, that the diacelists are forced to deny at least one of one and two. So I'm using a kind of a reductio uh, ad absurdum argument. So th and now I'd like to take, uh, I'd like to uh, say two things. The claim that Fulfilling a past, present, uh, person's present desire for the present promote his present momentary believing is less, I think, controversial than the claim that fulfilling his past desire for the present retroactively promote his past momentary believing. The second, a case of promotion of believing by fulfilling a pre present desire for the present is a paradigm case of desire theorists would say contribute well-being. So on the, on the basis of these th two things, I like to claim that it is unreasonable for desire theorists to deny four rather than three. <coughs> therefore, I would like, like to, uh, and, and therefore I would like to claim that it is unreasonable for desire theorists to deny two rather than one, because as I said before, two is, two is derived from four and one is derived there from three given attitudinalism. So I'd like to conclude that they are to have a compelling reason to consider that one is false. That is that fulfilling of D1 does not contribute to its momentary building. So uh, I think that N is true that is that they are to have a compelling reason to consider, consider that fulfilling of a Pass, uh, uh, person P unconditional past there for the present does not promote her well-being.
but uh, I think that um, um, objection can be uh, uh, can be raised against the argument I I have developed so far. So I I would like to consider some of the possible objection. First objection is based on the uh, idea provided by David Berman about uh, narrative structure uh, and well-being. That, 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 that objection said that inference from seven to eight presuppose the following two things. A, a person's lifetime well-being is an aggregate of all his momentary well-being. B, each of a person's momentary well-being contribute his life well-being in, well in proportion is amount. So uh, is this objection would say that A is false because person's life well-being is not determined by the, by the aggregate of his moment well-being, but by the narrative structure of his entire life. And it's th this objection would also say that B is false because to what extent each of a person's momentary well-being contributes his lifetime well-being at least partially depends on the meaning of the momentary well-being provided by the narrative structure of his entire life. So therefore, it said, the objection said that eight does not follow from seven. So I would like to reply to the objection as follows. To admit that the narrative structure of a person's life determines how life will be being is to admit that there is a factor that determines well-being other than the fulfillment of desire. Therefore, their desire series are not in po position to raise this objection. But someone might rejoin to my uh, reply as follows. The desire series can adopt a bifurcated uh, desire theory, which insists that the person's momentary well-being is determined by fulfillment of her desires, whereas her lifetime well-being is determined by its natural structure. But I would like to reply this in rejoinder as follows. Um, it is not, I think it is, not, it is not clear why only lifetime well-being is determined by its natural structure. Short periods, such as uh, adolescence and uh, a certain year, a certain month, a certain week, and also, also uh, and even a certain day in a person's life also have a natural structure, I think. Why the well-being of those periods not determined by the not narrative structure? But somehow, the, again, rejoin to my reply like this. The well-being of those shorter period, period is also determined by their narrative structure, where the well-being of periods that do not have a narrative structure, such as minute and second, is determined by fulfillment of desire. But I, I like to reply to this joined. Uh, given attitudinalism, this view implies that the, the only desire we have for a very short time contributes to well-being. This forces the desire series to restrict the desire relevant to well-being so narrowly that they cannot be called, I think, the desire series anymore. The objection two. It said, M1, my intuition is not always true. Because if D1 is long-standing and S made much effort to fulfill it, affairs D2 is recently acquired and she <coughs> has not made much, so, so much effort to fulfill it, then fulfilling D1 contributes more to her lifetime living than fulfilling D2. Borojo. Boroboy, yeah. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Boroboy. So suggest that this idea uh, fit people's intuition. 
I, I like to imply to this. I like to reply to this objection as follows. This I, I admit that this objection, uh, objection has some intuitive appeal, but appeal can be explained one of the both of the one of one or both of the following ways. First, first explanation is that we are inclined to assume that people usually have a present present desire that no significant periods of their lives end up being used uh, fruitless. This leads us to implicitly, implicitly assume that S, S also has this present desire. Now, if D1 is a long-standing, uh, lasting and uh, self-dedicating desire, whereas D1, D2 is a recently acquired desire that she has, S has not made much effort to fulfill, then D, fulfilling D1 <coughs> rather than D2 serves to fulfill S present desire not to make her significant parts of her life ruthless. As a result, I think we are naturally led to think that S's life is made better by fluffing D1 rather than fluffing D2. The second explanation is that we are inclined to think that accomplishment is an important constituent of well-being. Fulfillment of a person's long-lasting past desire she strives to realize usually brings about accomplishment. Thus, if D1 is a long-lasting and self-dedicating desire, whereas D2 is a recently required desire she has not put much effort to fulfill, we are led to think that fulfilling D1 makes her life better than fulfilling D2. But I, I would like to say, I would like to note that D1 in D1 in uh, explanation R Y is a means desire, and and fulfillment of D1 in explanation R two is not a derived element of, of well-being. But as I said before, the desire theory is a view that only thing that promotes well-being is a fulfillment of end desire as an derived and underived element of well-being. Thus, I think that intuitive appeal of this objection is not relevant here. The third objection is based on the bias toward the present and future. We have the bias toward the present and future. We care about only our present and future well-being, but not about our past well-being. This bias is so deeply in, in embedded in our mind that it does it direct our intuition of our rationality. This is why intuitively think that it is not rational for us to fulfill D1 rather than D2. However, the rationality mentioned in my intuition, M1, is prudential rationality, so it requires a person to care about all of his momentary well-being regardless of its temporal location in his life. Thus, ex it excludes the bias toward the present and the future as irrational. Therefore, our intuition that it is not rational for us to fulfill D1 rather than D2 does not support my intuition. And one, the I would like to reply to this objection like this. Uh, we have the, I admit that we have a bias toward the present and the future about what we experience, but, uh, but this does not <coughs> extend to what we do not experience as some theorists pointed out. For instance, it is not clear, to, clear that I prefer being betrayed in the past to being betrayed at present or in the future, something like that. Now, the well-being that is 
supposed to be promoted, flipping D1 and D2 in the argument 1 to 9 consists only of the fulfillment of, the, of those, two uh, those two desire. In the argument, the ex experiences S might have by knowing fulfilling of those desire is not part of the well-being. So, I think it is quite doubtful whether our intuition that it is not rational for us to fulfill D1 rather than D2 comes from the bias toward the pre present and the future. Ah, I'm going to skip this uh, objection four. So I'd I, I like to argue next for, uh, in, in case uh, in, in which fulfillment is, is correct. So le please consider arg this argument. So, uh, this uh, argument A and uh, argument A, this argument are the same, except only three. So the, the difference between the argument A and the argument A F is that in argument A, what the fulfillment of D1 makes a better off is a past part of one's S life. But in, in the argument F, what uh, fulfillment of D1 makes better off is a present part of S life. But I think that this difference does not influence the soundness of this uh, argument. So I like to say that this argument is sound. So, uh, but uh, uh, like before, I, you know, uh, it is. I think it is very hard for me to believe that nine is correct because I have an intuition M one. So, uh, so, uh, so I, I, I think that argument is sound, and uh, given that argument is sound and M is true and just nine is false, given these two things, I, it follows that in the same way that I mentioned uh, in the case of the argument A, uh, it followed that the desire cells have a complete reason to consider that one is false. That is that fulfillment D1 does not contribute to its momentary well-being. So I like to say that N, N is true in, in, this, in this case too. But uh, there can be, uh, an objection can be uh, raised against the the, the, the argument I just mentioned. But uh, I, I just want to say that you know, two things. The objections one and the objection two uh, to the argument for N uh, in the case in which uh, attitudinalism is correct can, be, can also be raised here too, but the reply <coughs> I present to them apply here too. And the objection three does not apply here because the momentary well-being that is supposed to be promoted by D1 and the momentary well-being that is supposed to be promoted D2 are both the present, present well-being. Therefore, there cannot be any bias about the rationality of concern for, the, for present desire created by a difference in the temporal location of well-being. So I would like to conclude that any is true. Thank you very much.